welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. authors, we have um, radio show hosts, we just have everything, people that are really making a difference in the world. And uh, this radio show is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine that is in its 17th year of being published and printed in the Midwest as well as online. We were you know, way ahead of the game uh, with online publishing. So you can uh, read Spirit Seeker online, spiritseeker.com, but you can also pick up a copy in Arkansas, Illinois, Wisconsin, Chicago, and Missouri. So enough said. Um, there are some wonderful articles, and one of the articles is by the guest that I am just getting ready to bring onto the air. Uh, her name is Terry Daniel, and she uh, contributed a wonderful article on embracing death, dying, and the gift of grief. This is uh, it's it's cutting edge ways of uh, that we're not used to in the Western world, so to speak, where we talk about death and we um, honor honor death as a passage rather than something that's uh, to be feared. But you'll be hearing all, from all different speakers tonight. So, Terry Daniel, are you there? Oh. Hi, Cindy. Hi. Okay, so, Terry, you have been on the front lines of doing this work for a long time, and you have the third uh, Afterlife Conference coming to the Midwest. And So would you be kind enough just to share with our listeners as to, you know, how this path started for you and how you, it evolved into the conference and, you know, and just the changes that you've seen in, in, in the past uh, years with this uh, topic? Okay, I think I'll take your last question first because it's okay. most relevant. It's, it's a long story how I got on this path. Suffice to say, I've been on a metaphysical path since I was a teenager. So um, fast forward to about 15 years ago, my son was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness when he was 10. Um, I knew he was going to die, and there was nothing we could do to avoid it. And so I learned how to embrace it. And started to look at how people see death in our culture, especially children. They see it as a violent thing. The only time they see death is in movies and TV and video games, unlike in third world countries or in rural places where they see animals die and they see grandmothers die. My son had never seen a dead person or even an animal. So I needed to teach him how to not be afraid of death, and I started bringing finding books that Buddhist books and Native American books, and teaching him about death being just a transition, like walking into another room without your body. And um, I kind of had this idea that I was teaching this to him, but I found out much later that he was really teaching it to me. And after he died, I began having very clear conversations with him. And he began teaching me from the other side. I have since written two books with his help. And along the way, I heard of a group called the Compassionate Friends, which is an organization for bereaved parents. And I went to a couple of their events and wanted to speak at their national conference and was very rudely rejected by them. 
because they don't want to offer any information about after-death communication or survival of consciousness after death. And I was so frustrated by that. This is a very condensed version of a long story, but the result was I I decided to start my own conference. And that that, is, so that is how this all started, because all there was started. no voice. Yes, wow. exactly, no voice. Well, and you know, it's interesting. Now people are more comfortable with it. You know, um, we have people such as James von Prague and, you know, some of the the other, you know, leaders, shall we say, that have become more of a, a voice with these large audiences, but they're still not totally guiding people the way you are with talking about this topic. Well, they're they're helping people see that their loved ones still exist somewhere. They don't exist in this physical form that we're familiar with, but the wonderful thing about all the mediums that are out there is they are proving to people that the dead are still resonating. Right. And that's huge. That's huge. That's gigantic. And so we're getting that from the mediums. And then from other people, the teachers and researchers like like Raymond Moody and Julie Beichel and all the people that we have at our conference are teaching us the science behind it. Here's the research we've done. Here's how we've proven that mediumship is real. And then there are the channelers and the intuitives and the teachers like me that actually give people techniques of how do you do this? How do you open that conduit? How do you develop the ability to sense the presence? Of the other side, right? We're very, we're very blessed with the communication that um, that we all have. And please do not think I was um, discounting James von Prague. I think that he is fabulous and has done um, a great service for so many people, as have have the others. But with your conference, I must say it it's it, the speakers. It feels more scientific. It feels more um, down to earth. Let's get going and let's let's really explore this topic. And you have fab, you know wonderful speakers. Some of which um, uh, Raymond Moody. Uh, he's he is the author of Life After Life. And you have Susan Northrup, who's uh, who is an internationally acclaimed psychic medium. You have Dr. Eben Alexander, who uh, has written a book called Proof of Heaven, which became a New York Times bestseller. We also have two other uh, speakers on the panel uh, that will be speaking tonight. So um, let's go to uh, Jonathan Yorks. And Jonathan is the Director of Membership for the Newton Institute for Life Between Lives Hypnotherapy. Uh, This is an organization founded by Dr. Uh, Michael Newton and is uh, dedicated to continuing his research into the afterlife. Uh, He's done a lot of past life regressions and uh so so jonathan yorks are you there Uh oh jonathan are you there okay so nate if you'll um nate is my producer who's behind the scenes when uh dr yorks joins us if you would be kind enough to just um send me a message and then i'll know that um he is on the line so uh, we will come back to that because uh, he has contributed uh, to Dr. Newton's latest book, um, Memories of the Afterlife, Life Between uh, Lives, Stories of Personal Transformation. He will be a speaker at the conference in St. Louis in June. So, and that book um, is amazing. Michael Newton's work is mind-blowing. His, well, go ahead and talk about it, and then we'll, you know, it's okay. Jonathan can share when he comes on, too. Just tell yeah. us a little bit, if you would. Well, um, Newton's book, Life, After Li- Life Between Lives, 
is, you know, it's not like we have this life and then we die and we go into the afterlife. This presumes a belief in reincarnation. And so if we believe in reincarnation, then we're constantly sort of cycling through being incarnate and discarnate, and there's a space between. And that's what, as I understand it with Michael Newton, Jonathan can talk about it better than I can, that he will regress people into that space between, into the life between incarnations, which is where the dead are now until they come back next time. And this is, you know, an ancient, ancient teaching that the Egyptians had it and the, and the Tibetan Buddhists had it and the Celts had it, um, of the journey that goes on between lives and in the, as my friend Bill Guggenheim calls it, the interlife, not the afterlife. Mm. Hello? Oh, oh hi. hi. <laughs> okay, that was so well done. I just wanted to let you go. Oh, thank you, Jonathan. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Well, and and this is this is a topic that you know a lot of people just are not clear about. They, they're like, well, what happens, you know, like before? What happens in that time before you've come back and you're on the other side? So, you know, Jonathan, please just jump right in and you know, you know, explain some of the work that you've done and, and some of your thoughts on all of this. Okay, okay, I will. Um, it's a big topic, as you as you can imagine. Uh, I came across Dr. Michael Newton's work actually after he had written his first book in 1994, Journey of Souls. And Journey of Souls is kind of is an outline of a linear journey that Dr. Newton um, um, writes out from the time of death to the time of what he called embarkment or um, back to the uh, the earth plane. And he talks about the stages that we go through with souls in a very linear fashion. And then he wrote a second book called Destiny of Souls, which really got into the nature and the um, the nature, and I'll say the structure, for lack of a better word, uh, and the structure of the spiritual dimension, um, how we operate as souls, the kind of groupings, um, for what reason do we incarnate, and um, how we use our incarnations um, to help further advance um, our own spiritual uniqueness. Seemingly what we do as souls is that we take our unique spiritual character, our unique spiritual vibration, and we seek to evolve it to its most optimum resonant form, its highest form of vibration. As we've done that, we do that through succeeding lifetimes to the point where incarnation no longer serves us. And then we move into further integration, seemingly back into the form of all life, but yet maintaining our individuation while still being in the conscious presence of totality as well. Hopefully that was clear enough. <laughs> that uh, was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it was it was very beautiful. But Terry, you go ahead. You just, you know, anything else you want to jump in with? Well, I like what you said about to the I think you said to the point where incarnation is no longer needed. What did you mm-hmm. say exactly about that? And and that's always an interesting question, you know, that I have when I am talking to my guides. And the message I got about that was um Free will is this huge force in the universe, and we don't actually have to incarnate ever or ever again if we don't choose to learn those lessons on that particular path. Yeah. We we could just dissolve into the ether or we can do something else, go into another universe. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, dissolving into the ether is a... Is a <clears throat> I think it's that's kind of a, a, a mythological concept of, of this kind of d- dissolving, where you lose your individuation, you lose your context of of what you have been and the vibration that you are as a droplet within the ocean of all life's energy. Which so you maintain really an individual. I'm sorry. 
which which can't really happen. You can't really dissolve into because you can't ever go away. No, not that not that we understand. I mean, there's a purpose to this. There's a purpose to the individuation process from all the field of life and the reintegration while maintaining individuation. Seemingly, when we are birthed as souls, we are really these beautiful white light form, white light forms that we are und, um, undiv, uh, undifferentiated from the form, from the field of all of life. And what the nursery keepers do is they awaken us, not telling us who we are, just telling us we are here. Mm. And then we move forward through a, a succession of, of environments that help us further learn how we operate as energetic forms, as energetic, as energetic forms of life. There's a place called the Place of Play. You won't see this in Dr. Newton's books, but certainly we've talked about it in the Newton E group. Um, and there's many names for it, where they'll take the young ones, and they'll bring them from the place of the nursery to this place where other young ones are. And they'll have, like, slides and whatever else. But what they learn to do is they learn to attune their vibration to the different features so that they can learn how to wor um, work with their own energetic field. And then they naturally peer up. It's really quite a phenomenon, seemingly. And that's when we first meet our spirit guide. So let's bring on our third guest um, at this point. We also have Era, and I hope I'm saying your name correctly, Parisian a natural-born psychic medium and transformation coach who uh, has been offering personal and group readings across the globe for over 20 years. She's the author of Whispers from Within, Thoughts from the Soul, and uh, Threshold of Transformation, a Channel Spiritual Guide. So, uh, Era, are you are you there? I know she's there because I... She must... Okay, Era, when... Please join us. <laughs> I'm going okay. to... Okay, oh, there you is. are. Okay, yeah. we're having, I, didn't Mercury go uh, forward? I thought <laughs> it went but, direct on March seventeenth, but okay. unfortunately, we're in the shadow until April sixth, so okay. we can still experience a little bit of a glitch here and there. Oh my goodness! Well, um, well, we just had one, but thank you, and I'm glad you're here. And you know, Era, Jonathan was just talking about you know when our spirit guide comes in, and and you've done you know um, a lot of work in this area. So would you please talk about you know what what your take, not your take, but if will you please offer your wisdom? And then we're just going to go back and forth between the three of you, and occasionally I will jump in. But listeners, this is a feel of what this afterlife conference that you know Terry Daniels has created for all of us is about so so era we're going to listen to you for now please okay when it comes to where we go and what we do firstly i have to say how wonderful i i think michael j newton's work is he's absolutely phenomenal and it was a real treat to listen to you jonathan mm, uh from my from my vantage point what I have seen time after time, well, not well, clairvoyantly see, is that humans are more than humans. We are energy, and because we are energy and all the same energy, really, we exist everywhere, all at once. And so at the point of passing, to me, Spirit has shown that it is a mere, how do I say this, withdrawing of focus from this physical plane. They don't die. They still exist, but they're just not on this level of existence. And it makes it easier, actually, to understand that because they still exist, it's, it's, quite, um, it's quite easy for a medium to be able to connect 
with the energy that they used to personify. So <clears throat> that's how I've always experienced it through my work with spirit. What do you think, Jonathan? And that's exactly what Dr. Newton says. Um, you know, I'm so used to speaking to the, you know, to the person who is unfamiliar with his work that I define it in certain terms sometimes. And that's exactly what we understand, that we project a certain amount of our awareness, our consciousness into a life form, that we're never not within the spiritual dimension. And, yes, you said it so beautifully about the point that we exist in all, in all space and all time. In all, and in the, in the entirety of the field, and um, and how we how you are able to communicate um, and have access in that way, um, it, yeah. it aligns perfectly with what Dr. Newton says. Well, and, and I would and add to that that everything exists simultaneously. That's like an, another way of point of understanding it is because time is not linear and doesn't go from point A to B. Everything is existing and and resonating and breathing. Simultaneously at the same time. There's no absolutely, yeah, and that's no... what I think um, helps uh, parents who have lost children. It's one of the most oh my goodness unbearable pains um, mm. anyone can endure in a lifetime, mm. and most of their fears come from wondering if, when it's their time to go, will their child even be there? Will what happens mm. if the child child actually reincarnates before they get back to them. And that's the beauty of how this all fits together, is that that aspect of them will always be there. No matter how many incarnations are at play with that one particular aspect of spirit, that one will still be there to greet them. And is that because we can resonate in more than one dimension at a time? Absolutely. We're yeah. everywhere, all at once, all the yeah. time. Exactly. But our skill set to focus, our skill set um, becomes more advanced as we, as souls, as we understand in the work um, of the Newton Institute, um, becomes more advanced over, um, as we progress. And through yeah. that advancement, we're much more able to dimensionalize our consci consciousness. Yes. You know, you know, this, um, I'm just going to interject. You know, the first time I met Deepak Chopra was uh, in 1992, and at that time, you know, he was uh, talking about synchronicity and, you know, met, you know, studying the Herbert Benson um, study on quieting the, the thoughts, you know, with meditation and the, the stillness response. And one of the things that he that he said initially was, you know, with synchronicity, pay attention to the things lining up you know, around you. And then a few years later I saw him, and it was totally different. He said it's uh, like the synchro destiny. He said be aware of the souls, the, the people in your groups. Oftentimes you've been together before, you're coming together, whether you realize it or not, this time you're gravitating toward one another, part of this um, all all dimensions at one time. You've worked together before, or perhaps, you know, everything's lining up this lifetime, you know, like your soul, like almost pre pre-chose and selected this um, before coming down. So I know that was a little vague, and you, you're all the experts, but if someone could address that, I, I really think that with the, the communication the way it is now and everyone being so much more readily available through, you know, th things are lining up so um, more quickly than before when we didn't have the communication. Cindy, if I could offer, um, I've been quite wondering about the difference between synchronicity and serendipity. Um, and... 
The best I can come up with an understanding of it is this. To qualify, synchronicity is more of a phenomenon of this, of this particular quantum field we exist in now. That as we all project into the field and our frequencies align, our general movement will bring us to one another along the way. Where serendipity is kind of the divine effect. It has like it sprinkles into the, what I guess I call the creator field. And basically, if we have a different intention along the way, um, we will be those who are meant to provide us with guidance of intention along the way um, will come to us. And those are, I guess you would say, more predestined than um, coming from the creator kind of context, where we're all vibrating into the field, our thoughts. And, you know, as we all know, energy, like attracts like. So as I project out there, my, my thoughts, my field, and another's projecting theirs along the way, we eventually will align within the And I think to other. comment on what Cindy said about how with mass communication being what it is today, I always have the thought that the Internet is like a mock-up of the interdimensional world. And we have finally evolved to the place where we've created this this physical machinery called the Internet, which can almost literally send thoughts across the dimensions. I mean, that's what email looks like to me. Email yeah. to me looks like telepathy. I, mean, I was I was and, teaching and so mental think, telepathy last night. That's exactly what it is. It's like it's, yeah. it's through the thought energy field. It is yeah. through the thought energy field. I mean, I don't know what cyberspace is, but it sure feels like interdimensional space to me. And so I think we've created this model, this thing called cyberspace, as we're just beginning to evolve into an awareness that we are actually tapped in to these non-physical forms uh, or non-linear forms of communication. So we're all kind of evolving into that together. And now that we have this mass communication that we never had before, those of us who are starting to see these connections are talking to each other more like we are right now. And it is creating a, a big wave of awareness that's spreading around. Well, I think as a collective, we do, we do express energy, which is merely the creation, manifestation of a, of a certain thing that is always born from a thought. So the Internet is definitely one of those creations that has been collectively expressed. And how it is used, and I love that, Terry. I love that fact that email is nothing more than energetic telepathy kind of thing, right? Because yeah, it really it is. is. <laughs> We're but a little I think all from the, the success world. of it is generally predicated on one's awareness. If you're not aware, then you're going to miss it entirely. Mm. Yes. So those of us that are aware who are sharing this information and talking about it are, you know, are bringing that to the fore. And people trickle in. I mean, if you look at the people who go to the conference, generally they're already aware of this and wanting to know more, but a lot of them are coming in because of grief. And grief is an experience that opens that conduit if you allow it to. Right. And I find that with the grieving process, and and, uh, you would be able to shed some light on this as well, Terry, that what I've found through mediumship is that because of the traumatic um, experience, and for some people it's very traumatic, they cease to function as who they used to be. 
It's changed them completely. And a lot of the grief, not a lot of the grieving, but there's a great percentage of the grieving process that is dedicated to trying to figure out who they are without that person in their physical form any longer. And so new tools have to be offered in order to inspire people to re-self-define. And that doesn't relieve or alleviate or absolve the grieving process, but it certainly goes a long way into soothing the grieving process. Does that make sense? It, it does. Makes it, yeah, oh, it makes it so much more manageable. The grieving, the, the idea of death and dying, it's a social-cultural phenomenon. And, um, you know, what Terry, what Terry was talking about when we first came on and what she's introducing into the public, I can see that being a part of curriculum at a very early age to help, you know, it's the, the, the phenomena of death and dying and what we do with it and how we are so misled by old paradigms. Um, yes, we are certainly seeking to evolve and grow. It's a, it's a natural phenomenon of life. But um, I, this is something like the Afterlife Conference truly truly brings to the forefront um, the falsity, I'll say. And I don't mean to say it in that way, but the falsity of the paradigm in which we have operated through. The oh, Absolutely. Part. Well, and, and the, the hospice movement that started in, you know, in the U.S. in the 70s. I mean, it was in Europe, it was in France, you know. they, But, but you know, we really, the hospices in, in the U.S. did not really start until the early 70s. And, of course, Kubler-Ross with On Death and Dying started talking about it, and all of a sudden nursing students are reading about it. But I can remember a time not that long ago, within the last probably 10 years, that there was actually a uh, a conference for medical doctors in St. Louis where they had people who had died and come back, like hadn't totally like made that crossover, come and speak to these doctors because, you know, the doctors were like, well, that's ridiculous, and they were poo-pooing it. And, you know, so they brought, like, I don't know how many different people. And I actually knew one of the, it was, she was my animal, um, she would watch my dog when I would uh, go out of town. I would drop the dog off at her house. And she was in a terrible car accident when she was younger and was on the other side, you know, it was, and then all of a sudden she's like, but who's going to take care of my dog? Bam, she was back in her body in that car, and she was, you know, just maybe 16 or so. But it was worrying about her dog that brought her back, and the next thing you know, she's in this car with rain pouring in because, you know, it was a terrible accident. And later her whole work was working with these animals. She became one of the most amazing dog dog sitters and communicators. And, you know, but she spoke to these doctors because they just did not understand well, you know what is the good news about that? And I want to comment on something Jonathan said about putting this kind of awareness into the curriculum at an early age. If you look at the curriculum we have now, the social and religious curriculum, we are taught that when you die, you either go to heaven or hell, depending if you're good or bad, and you're judged by this mean, nasty, scary guy in the sky. And so that's the curriculum we have still now in our culture. Adding this new way of thinking and this new information into the curriculum starting today would produce a whole new generation of more peaceful people because they wouldn't have that fear of death, which is at the root of all neurosis. So I wanted to comment on that, Jonathan, because that was great. And on what you just said, um, Cindy, I totally lost my train of thought about that. But um, 
I'm glad that you mentioned animals because we have somebody uh, who I'm hoping will come to the conference that is an amazing animal communicator. His name is Ken Prather. I don't know if you know him, but I just want to put a plug in there for him. He's lovely, and he was with us last year, and he's he's an animal um psychic medium communicator and he lives on a farm with tigers and donkeys and everything and he's fantastic so terry would you um this is your third event so if you would let the listeners know because we we have listeners from all over the u.s but you know primarily because we're published in the midwest we have you know quite a representation there but so will you tell us like with the speakers when they come like if like if they're in the animal communicators um class i think you said ken prather um can you tell us what does that look like will they get to sign up for different breakout sessions and then let's just hear what the overall conference Well, first of all, I want to give our website, which is afterlifeconference.com, and there are breakout sessions, and you don't have to sign up in advance for any of them. You can move freely between them and go to whichever ones you want. The morning sessions are two-hour workshops, and those are kind of special experiential workshops where you're actually doing something rather than just sitting there listening to somebody talk. We've got one on shamanic practices for helping the soul separate from the body, which is taught by my teacher, Linda Fitch. Um, Eben Alexander is doing one of those two-hour sessions, and also William Bullman from the Monroe Institute is going to be teaching uh, how to leave the body and, mm-hmm. and travel out of body. And then the afternoon sessions are one-hour, shorter sessions. And Ara, you're doing the Sunday afternoon thing, aren't you? Yes, I am. The mediumship demonstration. And that's two-hour or one-and-a-half-hour? I believe it's an hour-and-a-half, yes. Yeah, and that's a general session that everybody would go to. And you can pick and choose and go to whichever ones you want. So, And we have it divided up into three interest tracks, because in the first conference we had everything kind of lumped together, and I quickly learned that the people who are interested in scientific research did not want to be in the same room with the bereaved parents. It was not a good match. And the bereaved parents didn't want to hear about scientific research or necessarily journeys out of the body. So I learned to divide it up into three separate things. One is bereavement, the next step, and that's important because this is not a grief conference like you would find in in a lot of grief conferences around the country. This is beyond that. This is if you want to go somewhere else, other than grief, where you can get some tools and move into an expanded awareness of the grief experience. That's what that section is for. Then we have the scientific and academic research section where people like Julie Beischel and Boyce Beatty we had last year, um, Erica Hyatt, I can't remember, I'm not looking at my list right now, are actually talking about research, academic research that's been done on near-death experience and mediumship. And then the third one is just the spiritual exploration track, which kind of covers everything and talks about um, the survival of consciousness after death, but also how we can tap into our own souls and be aware that we are eternal sparks of the divine, temporarily uh, encased in bodies, having a uh, an experiential journey on earth. So that's a whole other conversation. So that's basically how it works. 
Well, and you um, you have you approach it with music and art. It looks like, if I read that correctly, on the website. Um, we don't have any music this year, and I don't think we have any art either. But we have, and a spirit I'm looking artist. for a place to that for that to fit in. We had well, we do have a spirit artist. We have Jeanette Kay, and what she does, she's a medium. She actually draws pictures of the faces of the people that she sees in spirit. And we had Rita Berkowitz last year who did the same thing. And I have not – I've seen Jeanette's work on her website, and it looks phenomenal. And I've watched Rita actually work, and it's – I've never seen anything like it. I mean, she clearly – she stands there with a sketch pad and draws the features, and then somebody in the room will raise their hand and say, that's my husband. And then Rita will just pull in all this information from the person. It's It's amazing. Well, and Dr. Evan Alexander has had his own um, experience with he was in a coma or? Well, Jonathan, have you read Evan's book? I haven't read his book, but I've heard certainly about him. Because I'd I'd love to hear what you have to say about that, because he didn't actually die. He wasn't clinically dead. He wasn't flatlined. He was in a coma, and he journeyed to many different realms and met beings, people from his life, mm-hmm. and, you know, received a lot of direction and divine information. But it wasn't a near-death experience. It was something a little bit different. Well, what's interesting, though, is that he's been uh, working as an a- academic neurosurgeon, so he was already studying the brain when this whole experience uh, sounds like it happened. Um, so I don't I know. I love it he, when I, the neuroscientists have these, have these things happen to them. It's the best. Because they're so mind-body focused, and when they come out of the body, it's like, okay, what the heck happened here? <laughs> and we need them. We need them for for the movement. You know, it's absolutely. so important to have them absolutely. Doing this work. You, know, you know, I guess Eric could probably speak better to this act in, in some ways, because I certainly can't tune into the fourth-dimensional field as, uh, as well as uh, certainly as others. Um, you know, not knowing his book or anything, but if he's you know if he's traveling out of out of body in that kind of state of consciousness. I'm not saying he can go beyond dimension, uh, beyond the fourth dimension, but I'm fascinated by one thing. I've had a couple of clients come to me who have had brain tumors, things as such, and they tell me of their experiences with beings from the fourth dimension. And what dawned on me is, and this is something, this is what I love about learning more and more every day, is that there's a fourth dimensional world um, that is more ethereal, so that, that, just like ours, with its own type of beings that live within this world. Am I am I somehow misguided in that thinking? Well, it seems to me that there's a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh and a three thousandth and <laughs> it's it's eternal, right? Like everything it just it just perpetuates. And there is there is activity on every realm. And from what I've understood through my connection with spirit with different sessions that I've conducted is that there doesn't necessarily have to be a near-death experience to experience what Dr. Alexander experienced. And it's been said to me that even with people who are suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia or in any type of coma, whether natural or medically induced, that part of them is in and out in and out, in and out, and they're merely just tethered. They're just tethered to the physical, but they're free, and they're free to experience a completely non-resistant state. When we're human beings, we resist everything. 
We resist having to get up in the morning. <laughs> we resist the weather. We resist everything. And it's those types of energies that are uh, experiencing the dementia, etc., they're free to come and go. So they're back and forth. So I suspect that Dr. Alexander, how it wasn't a near-death experience, I'll never know. I have read his book, and it just blew my mind that it was not considered such, but he could travel. And wherever that, wherever that soul needs to be, that's where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. So it isn't about... It isn't about deciding yourself, well, I'm going to go over to the fourth dimension. The soul needed to go there. And evidently, it was exactly what should have happened, and then it came back, and he was okay. So I think we can go anywhere at any time for whatever reason, and the soul knows that reason. And I think that the goal that we strive for in trying to expand our awareness is to narrow the gap between what the ego thinks and what the soul knows. It's the ego that resists getting up in the morning, the ego. And, you know, I don't mean the Freud ego, but I mean, you know, the Buddhist version of the ego. You know, the the part that is completely identified with the physical and the body mm-hmm. has all that resistance. But the soul is this beautiful stream of loving knowingness all the time and when you are driving down the street and you get sideswiped by a bus the soul knows and the soul sees that as a beautiful pattern of perfection to to act out the curriculum that you designed when you came here the ego on the other hand screams no 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 this is horrible this is a tragedy and i hate that and the the work that we're doing, I think, is all about narrowing that gap between That's what the exactly soul That's exactly what it is. And to me, yeah. it, I equate it with becoming a blended being. Yes. We're human. Yes, we are. But we're more than that. And now is the time I see people beginning to wake up to the fact that there's more to them than what they can see. And becoming that blended energy where your humanness is the vehicle with which you're traveling, but that vast, powerful energy of soul, of source, whatever you wish to call it, is actually coursing through. And it's that perfectly balanced blend that makes life absolutely magical and effortless. And that's what people sense when they're out of the body, no matter how they get there. I mean, when we're out of the body in dreams or near-death experience or deep meditation or comas, it's all really the same. And we sense that freedom from that division. And, you know, my my specialty is, is kind of religious history related to death and dying, and um, that's what duality means, you know, that is always talked about in, in Eastern theology, you know, is disconnecting from the the sense of duality that there's separateness between us and spirit and merging that into oneness which is the opposite of duality well there's an interesting thing about the field of consciousness and be able in identification of persona and you mentioned ego terry and uh, um, my background's in psychology uh, i'm licensed in the field no longer practicing traditionally and um, understood that you know the ego is nothing more than the mind uh, the brain body relationship as the brain was getting wired into the body 
uh, and thus has, has formed its own conditioning through the neurological development um, of the life form up to about six years old, when we hit our fixed state of neurological activity that defines our likes and dislikes, our assumptions, and everything we've been introduced to through the stimuli that are coming into these life forms during the time of our development when we cannot censor any information. And, I've, and, I, and my biggest curiosity has always been this. Who's driving the car? Mm-hmm. And near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences, everything we're talking about tells us exactly who's here. It's us, the souls. Mm-hmm. We're in these vehicles right now. I look through his eyes. I speak through his vocal cords. I sit in, I sit in this chair, and I have this phone in my hand. But it's an intimate relationship that the blended awareness, cognitively certainly, I think we all have an identi- identification to it, but to have it in the, in the resonance, I guess I'll call it the chest region, around the core, whatever, they, whatever we want to call it, it, is su- it has become such a pervasive reality for me that I cannot escape this realization that I'm a soul who was, wake- who was awoken within the light body of Jonathan York's, and I am being him. And once you know that, there's no turning back. No turning back. That's <laughs> no it. No, I, forget, I forget what it's like not to have that experience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and to, to have a conference such as this where, you know, you can come and ask questions and be, you know, with people from the medical profession, from this, you know, the scientists and the mystics and the mediums and, you know, people that this is everyday world, you know, exactly what you're talking about, like there's a surrendering, there's not that resistance that so many, you know, people live with, you know, with not understanding understanding the bigger cosmic picture, shall we say. And, you know, in, I was just sharing recently with someone that I was in San Francisco in Chinatown one time, and there, there was what I thought was a parade and all these people, you know, happy and music and wearing white. And I said, oh, what is the parade about? And it was a funeral procession. It was just a whole different take on, you know, instead of like, you know, mourning and black and, you know, et cetera, it was just this whole different experience of death for me. Well, I just read some little quote somewhere that said, we rejoice when someone's born and we grieve when someone dies, and it should be the other way around. You know, that's exactly what my guides have taught me, Terry. They yeah. told me right off the bat that we have everything backwards. <laughs> that includes yeah. the birth and the death. The death is just moving towards knowing, mm. and the birth is a movement towards your forgetting. Mm. And yes, that's beautifully said. And death really is, is going, you know, it's going home. It's like a hard day at the office being on Earth. And you, you know, you put in your eight hour shift, which is really your 80 year shift or however long you are. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, you go home. Yes. And that and that's for celebrating. When when a baby's born and you you look at that baby coming in, and I actually wrote about this in one of my books. And the minute that baby comes out and opens its eyes, it blinks. It goes blink blink, you know, and it looks around and it's completely baffled. And you know that baby just came in from heaven. Hmm. And you got to look. You got to just look at that little soul and go, Wow, why are you here? You you know, good for you. Look what you picked. What a hero you are. Bravo for taking on this really tough assignment. You didn't have to do this, but here you, know, you are. I, 
Yeah, I've actually done a lot of study with perinatal uh, psychology. It was just one of the fields. You know, I started off as a nurse and went on with all kinds of other things, but I was just always fascinated with it. And, there, you know, in the Western way of delivering babies, you know, it's just like bam, bam, smack, and here you go, and off they get scrubbed and, you know, et cetera. And, you know, Dr. Thomas Vernier, who is a French obstetrician, was delivering a baby one day and much the same way until this baby came out and stared him down. Uh-huh. And he he that was like he realized oh my gosh there was like this consciousness I mean he just you know he just didn't get it and then after that he did dim lights and he did you know he just created this much more mm. like welcoming you know atmosphere for the children he delivered after that but it, it took this child literally what Terry was talking about like blink blink and right there with him and it was like oh my goodness they're awake did, did they all do that I mean I've seen five babies be born including my own and every one of them stared people down. Yeah. But I imagine they don't all do that. I guess it just depends I think, on how they're yeah, born. Well, do you know, when my granddaughter was born, she um, arrived on the earth plane, she looked around, she looked me right in the eyes, and I knew without doubt, and I said to that little girl, I know who you are. Mm-hmm. And it's my task for as long as I breathe to never let you forget that. Mm-hmm. So it's that connection, that bond, and you just know, you know there's a familiarity in that look. And when you're open to it, it's there and you feel the resonation of it, and there's nothing more beautiful. And you know that happens in death, too, because when I started channeling my son after he died, one of the things he told me was, okay, now here I am on the other side. Now we can get this party started. Come on, let's roll up our sleeves. we got work to do. <laughs> Interesting. You know, we have books yeah. to write, people to teach, you know, education to, to absorb. Now that mm. I'm here and you're there, this is the teamwork that we planned before I came in, and now we can really do it. Wonderful. I get it. (laughs) You know, Jonathan, I would like, if you would, um, be so kind as to talk just a little bit more. I mean, a lot of people know about past life regressions, and they know, you know, know, their other lives, et cetera, but I really like that, you know, this life between life that you you've done over 250 of these uh this particular type of regression so uh-huh. would you tell some of the just amazing um stories that you've seen where people are like oh my gosh no wonder and all of a sudden they're they're more present with this lifetime shall we say you know i think really what i find it is um well, there are of course a few places um in relationships where people have felt they've been harmed by another parents friends colleagues whatever it may be and they'll transition over, and they'll, and um, not all, but um, they may have a, a gathering of souls, either as the, the soul group of theirs or a collection of souls, like soul friends. And um, you're asking for a story. I knew this was going to happen. Well, you don't have to have a story. Just just in a moment where you just thought, oh my gosh, this is why I'm doing this work. Like this, you know, where you see like the connection uh, made. Well. Um, Yes, um, it happens every session. It really does. Um, for people who who really allow the experience to be present within them, um, what I find is human bias is um, is transcended, 
and these people have an enlightened awareness of the soul that they have been in relation to. Like um, one client, her father was actually a younger soul in that sense, and um, and that she had an identification of the dynamics of their past relationships, which she has been the elder of the two, uh, be it mother-son, mother-daughter, or elder-aunt, or whatever else. And now that he became father, she has she wanted this to occur. The interesting thing is he has a good relationship with her, but he's fractured with the rest of the family um, to help him mature in his own um, his own spiritual character. And so she took on the role of the, as the younger one, as the daughter, to be that kind of constant for him so that he would have that support along the way, knowing that he would go through tremendous difficulties along the way. And when she came realized of that, it's no longer forgiveness. It is just pure. I guess no, I guess knowing wouldn't be the right word, but just pure well, resonance you know, of of really, love and appreciation, valuing. I guess is another word. I one of the. I'm so glad you said forgiveness because forgiveness is one of the words I would really like to remove from the vocabulary and replace it with other words like release. People, you know, if people think forgiveness is something you're supposed to do to someone or give to someone. But even in forgiving someone, you're still coming from the position that that person has harmed you. Mm-hmm. But when you see the relationships the way you just described it, you realize that you and that person have just acted out an agreement and walked on a path together. And there is no perpetrator and no victim. So rather than forgiving them for the harm they did to you, you're releasing them. Actually, it transcends to valuing in that sense. You see the other, and you have nothing but pure value for them. Uh, That's what I get from my clients. They they have that shift, and it's like, I value all that you have, all all that you are now in your journey. I value your relationship. I value what we're about. I see that shift in valuing, where no longer is the blame and the forgiveness and all that kind of power dynamic, which is an ego construct, in play. But the shift to just really this. Just relationship to nothing but valuing. Valuing is a great word. I love that. That's well, you know, perfect. The, the, the Course in Miracles calls it you get past the illusion. You know, the illusion yeah. is like, you know, that some everything only has the meaning we give it. So, you know, here we are, this person has done something to us or whatever. And it's like it's all part of the co-creation. It's all part of the soul's calling it in. You know, once you get that energetically the soul calls in these experiences and, you know, what Arrow was saying that there's no more resistance. It's just, wow, okay, I get it. You know, then there is no more, you know, story, so to speak. It's just, wow, it's total love again. It's and then amazing. you get from to gratitude on top of all of that. I mean, the highest place you can go with all of those experiences, you do your, you get to valuing, you you do releasing, and then ultimately you come to gratitude. Like, mm. wow, mm-hmm. thank you for sideswiping my car. Look at where this <laughs> moved me to go. Seriously. You know, it's so funny. You know, I'm, this is not exactly this, but it's it's about the guides, you know, talking to, you know, Doreen Virtue had, was a weight loss psychotherapist, and the angels were talking to her, and she kept getting all these messages, and she would not talk about them on the air. And they would say, why are you not talking about us? And she's like, I am not going to go from being a successful weight loss therapist to talking about you on the air. It's not going to happen. So one day she arrived at the radio station, and she hears them say, don't park there, don't park there, and she's a radio show host and I used to have a traditional radio host position in the studio and I know sometimes if traffic or whatever you'd be running like trying to make it in there you know 
So she's like, I don't care. I'm parking here. Just be quiet. She gets out of the car. She gets mugged and robbed on the spot because oh, we were trying oh. to forewarn her. And then all of a sudden she goes into the station, you know, late, disheveled, et cetera. And she's like, okay, you know, they've been wanting me to talk about them for, you know, a long time. So here I am. And that changed her whole destiny. You know, mm. it's like the minute we just, you know, I mean, the work that all of you are doing, you know, you're pioneers. You're pioneers. You know, and it's fabulous that, you know, Terry's creating this platform for so many people of like-mindedness to come together and connect on this level with this topic. You know, it's, we're just, we, we are not taught this in the society. We're not, you know, we're just not taught it. But, you know, I like that that could be part of the everyday curriculum is understanding the Tibetan, you know, life cycle. It's like, you know, it's just all part of the continuum, you know, part of the continuum. You know, that's, I'm really glad you brought that up because I've been thinking about for the next conference, future conferences, to have a whole section for kids. And and that kind of goes back to what I was saying early on about when I found out my son was dying. I wanted to teach him a different view of death than what he absorbed from the culture. And And what Jonathan said about curriculum, I really want to add that to the conference, like a whole piece for talking to children about death and guiding children in meditation. Jonathan, have you ever worked with any kids doing Yes. What's that like? I mean, as far as death and, I mean, grieving issues? Well, grieve, no, so I'm thinking more about journeying, you know, like life between lives or teaching them Oh, no, 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 no. The, uh, we would not work with, um, I, I have worked with past life regressions with teenagers, but that, mm-hmm. is, um, but that is basically the youngest I've gone. I know there are... Um, colleagues of mine who have worked with children. Yeah. Well, oftentimes the imaginary friends, you know, um, the, the children are talking to our spirits. They're they're guiding them. And um, we do have a question from our chat room. Um, Saul and, and either and, you know whoever wants to address this. Saul asks, how do you begin to develop your ability or um, identify your skills if you feel like you have like a you know, a, a, a leaning toward this topic, like you know, with mediumship, et cetera. What would what would your suggestion be? Aura, that's yours. Besides coming to the conference. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I won't mention that then. Thanks, <laughs> uh, You know, it's that's a that's a huge question, and the first thing I would tell anyone who feels that they do have an ability that is trying to surface is that you should trust it. And allow it, allow it to come through in playful ways. Try not to get too serious too soon. And experiment. You can only learn the language of it by, by using it. So the next time the phone rings, don't look at the call display. Try and feel and sense who it might be on the other end. And just just keep score with yourself understand the nature of how it feels when you're correct and how you feel when it when you're not i will tell you that in mediumship and psychic awareness actually there's absolutely nothing ever dire or urgent or or doom and gloomish for want of a better term that is all ego based So if you are experiencing anything like that, just say, oh, okay, well, that's my humanness trying to take over and drive the bus. So just play with it for a little while and see how you do and learn the language of the resonation of it. Uh, You'll experience things in so many different ways. 
uh, mediumship works through the entire five senses, not just two or three. So pay attention. Just keep score. And trust, that's the big word, isn't it? You know, and religion oh, has been trying to tell us that forever, but they use the word faith. And I think yeah. at, at their core, if you strip away all the politics and all the crap that has attached to to spiritual traditions, you will find that what the teachers and the sages have been trying to tell us is to trust the conduit to the divine, because it's there and we have it. But they call it faith, and faith means a whole different thing to people now than what it really yeah. Um, I think by experimentation and learning the language of it, you begin to understand the nature of the tool. Uh, but you can't just sort of declare yourself, okay, here I am, I'm going to do readings now. I think there needs to be a conscientious house cleaning of the inner stuff that, that you carry so that you are the clearest conduit possible. And you will also probably benefit from joining a circle, a mediumship circle, if there's one in your area. That is always beneficial. But I cannot dismiss doing your own self-cleaning work. That is what's going to make you really powerful. Wise, wise words. And um, listeners, you are listening to a panel of speakers, Terry Daniel, who is the founder of the Afterlife Awareness Conference, and we've been hearing uh, Era Persian, who is a natural-born psychic medium and has been doing this work for over 20 years. We have Jonathan Yorks, who is the director of uh, membership for the Newton Institute for Life Between Lives Hypnotherapy, and he's worked extensively with... You know, Dr. Michael Newton has contributed to his book, and he's done over 250 life uh, between life regressions. And this is just a tiny taste of what you will experience at the third uh, Afterlife Awareness Conference. It's being hosted in St. Louis by Terry on June 21st through 23rd, uh, 2013. It's at the Sheraton Westport Plaza Hotel, which is very easy to get to from any part of St. Louis and the Midwest. Um, you can see more information at www.afterlifeconference.com or you can call 541-549-4004. We could talk forever. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing is that there's an awareness now. And, you know, what Era was suggesting with, you know, joining a group, et cetera. You know, years ago, you know, people would travel all the way to England to, to sit in the salons. You know, it was more, you know, you know, they had salons where you could, you know, like sit with other mediums, and, and now it's all through the U.S. You know, we're we're living in wonderful times where the Internet connects us with everything. Um, but I just, you know, just want to add, you know, this is just my own take on things. The more we meditate and the more we quiet the mind, you know, that's when spirit can really talk, and we get a lot of the, the answers that Era was talking about. It's it's quieting the mind, and if anyone else wants to add something as our final thought on this, please do. <laughs> We're being quiet. <laughs> yes, You're all We're quiet. quieting our mind. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, quieting your mind is just getting the ego out of the way. It's the internal dialogue that is all ego-based, you know. What should I eat? Am I fat? I don't have any money. I'm lonely. I'm tired. Um you know, blah, 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 that goes on all day long. And and in, in traditional Zen meditation, you know, they say to empty the mind and let the mind go blank. And something I always say in my workshops is I've never been able to get my mind blank except when jumping out of an airplane during free fall. 
And that's the only time I've ever gone into Zen mind. The rest of the time, my mind is processing stuff. And what I've learned to do in meditation is allow that stuff to come through, but perhaps slow it down into slow motion and pick out certain images and words and thoughts. And I came to realize that that's channeling. Those are messages from my guides. If you're slowing down that process, that parade of stuff, um, and something stands out like a yellow tennis ball, for instance, and you can focus on that for a second, your guides are sending you a yellow tennis ball for a reason. Do you agree with that, Aura? It's, I mean, that's kind of my meditation process, is to, is to listen to what's coming through the pipes. Well, I think you're right on the money with that. Everything has meaning. There is absolutely no coincidence. Nothing is arbitrary. That is the nature of the universe. And so when you see a yellow tennis ball and it's, you're attracted to it, even momentarily, that is a message. And there is an element of an answer either coming or uh, soon to be coming. Mm-hmm. And it's meditation. So for me, I would look at that yellow tennis ball and say, oh, um, hmm, maybe I need to do a meditation on my solar plexus. Oh, because yes. of that color, yeah. right? Yellow. Yeah. Right. Or maybe right. you need to get a dog. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> so so there's there's meaning in everything is, is what we're hearing everything. here. And you can you know, and it all comes through your own filter and you you know, but <laughs> but but there are no random accidents. There are no accidents. Everything is happening for a reason. So you've just all been delightful. Thank you so much I, for taking Thank time you. out to share with the listeners. And, you know, and listeners, you know the show is available, you know, after hours. Just go to spiritseeker.com, click on the radio icon, and it takes you to all of these shows. And you can share this link with other people and keep keep this wonderful way of communicating and teaching and learning, you know, connected. And by all means, the Midwest is a lovely place to come in the summer and you'll be in air conditioning and, you know, and actually the Sheraton, I'm teasing because, you know, we're known for the wonderful Midwest weather, but the Sheraton is actually a, quite a lovely location. It overlooks a lake and, you know, it's a, it's a perfect place to convene. So, Terry Daniel, thank you for, for you know, taking, you know, all of your wonderful gifts in so many different directions and pulling all of these amazing masters together and offering us this this conference. So thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you, Aura and Jonathan, for being on the show and for taking the time to do this with My me pleasure. today. All right. Well, My thank pleasure. You. Thank you. All right. Good night, everyone, and we'll Thanks. be back next Bye, week. Bye, everyone. Okay. Bye. Goodbye.